We continue our sermon series titled Adventures with Abraham. If you'd like to uh, follow along, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now, there, there are a number of chapters in the Bible that you can go to verse 1 of that chapter and, and just begin preaching that chapter. This is not one of those chapters. Because if you look at chapter 15, verse 1, it says, after this, after this. Well, the only way we're going to understand chapter 15 in the book of Genesis is to do a quick summary of chapter 14 and what leads up to that as to why the writer of Genesis uh, said, after this, after this. In the days of Abraham, there were five pagan kings that lived near the, the southern point of the Dead Sea. And there were four pagan kings who lived in an area that today would be that Iran-Iraq area in the Middle East. Two of those kings controlled the area, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. For 12 years, the five pagan kings demanded tribute from the four pagan kings. But after 12 years, the four kings said, we're not going to pay you anymore. They rebelled against the five kings. They refused to pay their tribute. And the first war that's recorded in the Bible then took place as the five kings declared war on the four kings. Well, those nine kings, you've got their names there in the, the, the beginning of the, the 14th chapter. And you've got where those nine kings, where they reigned and where they ruled from. But to kind of speed things up, I like the way... Uh, the, the writer of Genesis summarizes and simplifies this at the end of verse 9. He very simply says, four kings against five. Okay, that's what we've got. We've got four kings against five. As we get to verse 11 of Genesis chapter 14... It says, the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. At this point, Abraham is not obligated to get involved in this war. As they say in Tennessee, he did not have a dog in this fight. Okay. And so he just remains neutral as four kings and five kings are battling it out. But, but in verse 12, something happened. Verse 12 says, They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. At this point, Abraham feels like he has to get involved because these four kings are messing with family now. And they've taken Lot from Sodom as a prisoner of war. 
So Abraham does something that's very, very interesting. He tracks down and trails these four kings for 120 miles. And he takes 318 of his trained men and they lead a surprising, nighttime, daring attack against the four kings. And Abraham and his men, they did what the five kings couldn't do, and they defeated the four kings. In fact, the victory was so complete, and Abraham's men were so strong, that they literally chased the four kings and their army for a hundred miles. Think about that. And then, Abraham returns all of the people that were prisoners from Sodom. He is now in control of all the plunder of that city of Sodom. It could all be his for what he has done. But we get to verse 21 of chapter 14. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. All right. That's an interesting verse. Give me back my people that were captured from Sodom, but you can keep all the plunder for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high creator of heaven and earth and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you not even a thread or a thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. You see, Abraham did not want anything to do with the city of Sodom. I'm not going to take anything from you because I don't want someone to say, hey, the king of Sodom is the one who made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. Let them have their share. Just the food that that they needed to sustain them. That's all we're going to take. It's for my men. It's not for me. I'm not taking anything from you. It's following that that the writer of Genesis says, after this. Do you see why it's so key now? After all of that, he says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And this is the fourth time in the book of Genesis where the word of the Lord comes to Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Wow. Don't. Be afraid, Abraham. After this, he says, don't be afraid, Abraham. Why would, what would Abraham have to be afraid of? How about retaliation from the four kings? How about a counterattack on Abraham? And the Lord says, Abraham, don't fear. I am your shield. 
I'm your protection. I'm your protection. I'm your protection. And then he says, your very great reward. I think that's really neat. Because in chapter 13, Abraham gave Lot first choice of the land and said, basically, I'll take whatever you don't want. I'll take what you leave me. And Lot chose the fertile Jordan Valley. Abraham got the hill country. Abraham could have taken the spoils, the plunder from Sodom, but he didn't take it. And I think it's so neat that God says to him, I'm not only your shield, I'm your protection, Abraham, but I want you to know I'm your reward. I'm not just your protection. I am your provision. And I'll take care of you. I've seen what you've done. I've seen you give the first choice to Lot. I've seen you turn down the riches of Sodom. I've seen all of that, Abraham. And I want you to know, I am your great reward. And it it goes far beyond stuff, Abraham. It goes beyond materialism and all that other stuff. It's about me. I'm your great reward. And I think somebody here this morning needs to hear those words. I believe God is saying to someone here this morning that I am your protection and I am your provision. And no matter what's happened in your life, I want you to know I can take care of you. Just like I did Abraham. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards all those who earnestly seek him. God has promised to reward those who earnestly seek him. And he saw in some of the decisions that Abraham made that even though Abraham made a few bad decisions, he saw that there were decisions Abraham made that were good. They were right. And he says, Abraham, I want you to know I'm your great reward. I'm your great reward. After this, after this, I've told you this story, but it's a, it's a great story. When I resigned as pastor from the Sand Ridge Community Church over in uh, Manitou, Illinois, and I, I accepted a position up in Elkton, Michigan, uh, that's a pretty long trip. That's a pretty long trip between those two spots. And uh, there was a man at Elkton, Michigan, that uh, he owned a trucking company. And so uh, he sent a semi-truck and trailer, and he drove it over to uh, Manitou, Illinois, and loaded up all of our stuff, drove it back to Elkton, Michigan. And then after about four, four and a half years of being in Elkton, I resigned there and came back to Fort Wayne, and Larry... He did the same thing, loaded all of our stuff in his semi truck and trailer, and we brought, he drove it back to Fort Wayne. And both times I had saved back some money to give him to pay him for his fuel, and he wouldn't take a penny. Wouldn't take a penny from us. 
And he said something I've never forgotten. And I think about it when I get to this passage here where God said to Abraham, I am your great reward. Larry said to me both times, you can't reward me like, like Jesus. He understood something. That the Lord was his great reward. He understood that. He got that. You can't reward me like Jesus. And you know what? Try arguing with that one. What could you say to that? I mean, it's like, hey, you're right, man. You know, I, I can't reward you like Jesus. Abraham, I'm, I'm your great, very great reward. What a reassuring message for Abraham. I am your protection and I am your provision, Abraham. I want you to know that. There was another fear that Abraham had, and it was the fear that he and Sarah were both getting older and they had been promised a child. The biological clock had ticked and it wasn't happening. They were both too old. The the passage of scripture that Pastor Bob had from Romans talks about that their bodies were as good as dead. Biologically, their bodies were as good as dead. So that fear, I'm not getting any younger and neither is Sarah. And in these first six verses, uh, this 15th chapter actually has two promises from God. This is one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Some have called this the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's that important. The first six verses, you have God's promise to Abraham that there would be a son born from his own body. That's what the first six verses are. Then from verses 7 through 21, you have that reoccurring promise from God that he would provide and he would give the land of Canaan to Abraham. That's verses 7 through 21. We're only going to get through the first part of that promise uh, this morning. We're going to look at the second part next week. He says in verse 2, But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, wouldn't that make sense? I don't have any biological children. To be the father of many, don't I have to first be the father of one? Doesn't that just make sense? And I don't have any. I I have a servant, but I don't have a son. How are you going to fulfill your promise to me? Well, I'll help you out. We'll let my servant be my heir. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the plan, Abraham. That's not the plan. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man, that would be Eliezer, your servant, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Abram, his name means exalted father. When we get to Genesis chapter 17, his name is changed from Abram to Abraham. Just a little change in there. But his name now means 
father of many nations. I want you to get a hold of this this morning. He has already gone by the name of exalted father. How many children does he have at this point? Zero. Can you imagine the teasing, the mockery of walking around with the name Abraham? And people know this is the exalted father and he doesn't have any children. And then to have his name changed to father of many nations. You can understand Abraham's almost discouragement here. You've given me no children. You promised. I remain childless. Lord, I know what you've promised, but at this point, I'm just not quite getting it. I'm not understanding your plan. Not understanding it. It's interesting that five times in the book of Genesis, God speaks to Abraham and reminds him five times that this child will be from his own body. Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and Genesis chapter 21. It's as if each time when Abraham's faith just started to fail a little bit to where he started to doubt just a little bit, God would say, I just want to remind you. You're going to have an heir from your own body. It's going to happen, Abraham. It's going to happen. Now, I love verse 5. I'm an outdoors guy. I can't get outdoors enough. And many times... I feel like a caged animal when I'm inside. That's how much I love to be outdoors. Verse 5 says, "He God took Abraham outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham, I want you to get out of your tent. That has about a seven foot ceiling. Abraham, I want you to go outside. There's something I want you to understand this morning. There are some lessons that we can only learn outdoors. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It bothers me when I see these kids playing their video games and wanting to stay indoors all the time. Get outside. Because there are certain lessons that God can only teach you outdoors. This is one of them right here. He tells Abraham, Abraham, you've been content to be in your tent. Now let's go outdoors and I'm going to show you something. I love the story about William Beebe and uh, Teddy Roosevelt. They were really good friends. William Beebe was a, a naturalist. He studied nature. Uh, they had had a full evening of conversation between them. And finally, Teddy Roosevelt says to William Beebe, he says, uh, let's just go outside and take a walk for a minute. And so William Beebe follows him outside. Teddy says, I want you to help me with something. 
He says, I want you to locate, help me find, there's a real small star at the lower left hand of the Pegasus constellation. And he was kind of testing him on on his knowledge of the stars. And he said, "Uh, I want you to find that star for me. And so they sat there for a while as they gazed up into the sky. And finally, the star was found. And Teddy said to William Beebe, he said, that is a spiral galaxy in Andromeda. And he said, that star that you have just located, that star is actually larger than the entire Milky Way galaxy. The one star. It's bigger than the entire Milky Way galaxy. And he says, scientists are saying that there are a hundred million other galaxies just like that one. And then he said, well... I think we're small enough now. Let's go to bed. Isn't that great? I I think we're small enough now. I think we've been reduced to to just seeing the greatness of God. Now, let's just go to bed. That's kind of what God was saying to Abraham. He says, look up and see all those stars in the sky. And I'm told on a clear night in the Middle East, you could count about 8,000 stars. About 8,000. And he tells Abraham, go ahead and count the stars. And I don't think Abraham even tried. I think he probably just said, can't do it. That was precisely the point God was trying to make. Abraham, just as you can't count these stars in the sky, so no one will be able to count your descendants that come after you. You won't be able to count them. Psalm 147.4. I love this verse. Psalm 147.4 says, God determines the number of the stars and He calls each one by name. Isn't that something? Some of you had trouble naming your children. Couldn't come up with that right name. Think about trying to name all the stars. I think Adam probably had trouble naming the animals. I think he probably did. But God has a number and a name for every star. Wow. Some lessons from God you can only learn by going outdoors. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is such an important verse that it is repeated three times in the New Testament. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. You can find it in Romans chapter 4. You can find it in Galatians chapter 3. And you can find it in James chapter 2 verse 23. That is what some people have called the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Abraham believed God. 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did he believe? He believed that what God said, that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed God when he said that. He believed that. And it was credited to him for righteousness. There's a story that's told. It's an old story. Um, the story's told by, uh, about Harry Ironside, uh, Dr. Harry Ironside, who was the pastor of, uh, I call it the Moody Church in Chicago, but does it go by the name Moody Bible Church? Can we put Bible in there? I, I know there are some Moody churches, but it was the Moody Bible Church. That sounds better than just talking about a Moody Church. We've got some of those. But for 18 years, he was pastor of, I'm going to call it the Moody Bible Church in Chicago. He tells this story, and it's it's an interesting story. He said he was on vacation and he was traveling. So Dr. Ironside, this is kind of an interesting experience. If you've ever gone on vacation and you just drop in at a church, you've never been there before. You just see a church and it's like, we're going to worship here today. How, have any of you ever done that? It's kind of an interesting experience. Nancy and I have done it a few times. That's what happened. And he got there in time for Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher was, was just talking about uh, salvation. And he threw out this question. How were people in the Old Testament saved? How were people in the Old Testament saved? The teacher threw that question out. A man in the Sunday school class said, people in the Old Testament were saved by keeping the law. And the teacher said, that's correct. That's how they were saved. Dr. Ironside raised his hand and interrupted. And he said, "Uh, my Bible says that by the keeping of the law, no flesh shall be justified. That's what it says in Romans. By keeping the law, no flesh is justified. The teacher thought, he says, well, what about somebody else? How do you think people were saved in the Old Testament and... Someone said they were saved by the sacrifices that they brought to God. And the teacher said, that's right. He said, that's a good answer. That's right. And he he tried to move on. Dr. Harry Ironside raised his hand. He said, "Uh, I'm sorry, but my Bible says that by the blood of goats and bulls, uh, the blood of goats and bulls cannot take away any sin. So the Sunday school teacher now was rather embarrassed, kind of put on a point and said and and began to realize that whoever this guy that was in his Sunday school class, he knew more about the Bible than the teacher did. He came to that realization. So he said, well, why don't you tell our class how people were saved in the Old Testament? And Dr. Harry Ironside said, They were saved in the Old Testament, just like we are saved today, by faith alone. 
Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. Abraham put his total confidence in what God had promised, what God had said. My friends, that's what we're saved by today. We're saved by what God has said in His Word about His Son, Jesus Christ, dying upon a cross to provide forgiveness for our sin. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? It's as Galatians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, through faith, through faith. Why is faith such a big deal in Hebrews chapter 11? Almost every verse starts out by faith, by faith, by faith. Because here's what happens. God had a standard for entrance into heaven and his standard was perfection. And you and I could not meet God's standard. The bar was raised way too high. Like a high jump bar that no one could ever jump over. But you see, God had a plan for sinful man. And that plan was he was going to send his son to this earth to live on this earth for 33 years to experience all the temptations that you and I experience. But his son was able to remain perfect. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how you remain perfect with all your attitudes, your appetites, your actions, All of that, but Jesus pulled it off. The picture of perfection. And just like as for Abraham, God says, I see that faith that you've put in me, Abraham. Now we're going to take that faith, but we're also going to do something else. That faith is going to be credited. It's going to be deposited to your account as righteousness. We all have an account before God. We all do. And you don't want your righteousness credited to your account. Believe me, you don't want that. Because the Bible says all of our righteousness is but filthy rags. You don't want filthy rags in your account. There's something where you come like Abraham and you believe God and you accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect life. And you realize I can't save myself. He's my only hope for salvation. I've got to have that his righteousness put into credited to my account. And when God sees that account, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And that satisfies the perfection requirements of God. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. My mom's favorite verse in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we can become the righteousness of God. In ourselves we can't do that. I take what you have credited into my account, Jesus' perfection, as my only hope for entrance into heaven. And I cry 
Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. It's my only hope. I want to give you four lessons real quick, and then we'll be done this morning. Four lessons that you can learn from this 15th chapter. The first one is fear focuses on the past. Faith focuses on the present. Fear focuses on the past. And sometimes fear focuses on the future. But faith focuses on the present. The second one is, faith means trusting in God's timing, not our own. That is one of the toughest lessons that Abraham had to learn. That God's timing and our timing are not always the same. Faith means trusting in God's timing, not our own timing. Third, faith grows by believing God in spite of your circumstances. That's how it grows. Faith is like a muscle. It grows with exercise. And that faith grows by believing God in spite of our circumstances. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I appreciate the loyalty of love that Abraham showed to Lot. I mean, the temptation might have been, I don't know if I'm going to try to even go and get him. I told him to stay out of Sodom. I warned him about that place. He didn't listen. So he's getting just what he deserves. But he didn't do that. That loyalty of love where Abraham risked his own life to save his wayward nephew. Faith grows by believing God in spite of your circumstances. And fourth, faith is obeying God one step at a time. Faith is obeying God one step at a time. And this, this is the thing that's kind of hard about the Christian life. God doesn't roll the camera so that I can see a week ahead and I can plan accordingly. He doesn't do that. He leads me day by day, step by step. And that's, that's the beauty of this Adventures with Abraham is we look back and we've got it all in print and we kind of see the story of Abraham's life from the beginning to the end and we just see how God just walked him through his 175 years of life. Step by step, by step, by step. Adventure by adventure, by adventure, by adventure. We see it all. But, but God does the same thing for us that He did for Abraham. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never allowed Him to credit His righteousness to your account, don't leave here before you do that today. I close with this story. I, I hesitated to use this, but it, it really spoke to me this past week. 
Before I went on vacation, I got an email from some friends of ours. We've known them forever. It goes clear back to our Bible quizzing days when I was a teenager here at Harvester Church. It was, the email went out to all of the Binkley men because we were all invited to a surprise special birthday party for our friend Barry Bartels. He was going to be turning 60 on July the 12th and we were invited to go to their home 6.30 at night for this surprise birthday party. He was turning 60. What we didn't know was Barry died Tuesday and his funeral was yesterday. And it hit me. Think about all the plans we make, plans for birthday parties. And the Lord just leads us one step at a time. We don't even know what's going to happen an hour from now. Friend, make sure that Jesus' righteousness, His perfect life, has been credited to your account. Because we plan birthday parties and sometimes we face death. I want to ask you to stand as the the worship team comes to close our service